New notes this morning. Um, new notes. Let me hand these out. How much are you charging? Um, this is, uh, you know, put, put something in your basket. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Diana texted me this morning. They're not going to be here. They went to Campbell yesterday and helped Aaron move in. They're pretty exhausted. So remember them this morning as well. And uh, one other bit of housekeeping is that I won't be here. We won't be here next Sunday. Uh, so dad, we're going to need to work something out for Sunday school. Uh, we we had a little trip to uh, Dollywood plan for with our daughters for a little while. So we're going to do that. Is Miss Barton going to be there? A lot of times they say she walks around incognito. Yeah, Brianna <laughs> would just love that. She'd love to, she thinks the world of love. You might have a stowaway, Jane. Yeah. <laughs> you might tell him. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's uh, one more time go to the Lord and move on in John 13. Father, again, we thank you for your precious word, for fellowship together, for your Holy Spirit, for, for your, the gift of your dear Son. For this grand plan of salvation that you were, uh, began before the world was created. And you wrote down our names. Those of us who were being saved by you. You wrote down our names before the world was even created. All of the notes were written in advance. The script, as it were. And it unfolds exactly the smallest detail according to your plan. We rest and we take joy in it. And even as we work our way through this upper room discourse, your sovereignty permeates this entire thing because you're telling your disciples and us what is about to happen in hours, days, and years ahead. And in that, there's, there's a little bit of darkness, but there's also the light of your truth and the hope the peace and the joy that grow out of that sword of your truth. So we thank you for that. It's true for them. It's also true for us. Your sovereignty is the ground of our peace and virtue. So we thank you for this truth. Just want to remind us again of it. Help us to wash us again in the living water. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 13, verses 31 through 35 is where we're moving on this morning. I struggled with, uh, not not too bad. Sometimes I really wrestle with title, you know. With title, you're always looking to try to summarize things in a, in a complete way, in an accurate way. And uh, there's just so much truth going on here that it was, uh, um, um, it, it's not this particular Bible that I'm uh, using this morning, but the, the, my Bible, my uh, study Bible that I've been using for years, it's got all my handwritten little marginal notes and everything in it, um, has, a, has a title here that I almost used, which which is Jesus announces his departure. That's what I started with. But as I as I read and, and reread and thought about, remember, I've, I've been through 
all of these chapters in, in detail uh, with the other Bible study. And, and so, uh, you know, know pretty well what's coming. I realize that actually the title we have here, I think, is a better title of this section. Jesus summarizes the time ahead. Okay, I mentioned to you that sort of in my mind, the title of, of the Upper Room Discourse, all five of these chapters, 13, John 13 through 17, uh, in my mind, I kind of have this banner over, which is preview of coming attractions, right? Because and you'll see that as we as we walk through it, um, that the Lord is telling them. In fact, he he says explicitly one of the verses is noted here in our notes. He says explicitly, "I'm telling you this in advance so that you know when it happens and you can take peace and joy in that." Right to know that God is in control, even though the circumstances that they're about to face in the next few hours, days, months, and even years will look very different than what they expected, right? They're expecting Jesus as, they know he's Messiah, they got that part right. What they're not expecting is this Messiah, instead of ascending to the throne of his father David, descending to the humility of the cross. That's what they're not expecting. They're not expecting him to die, even though he has said that. And you can you can see this even after the resurrection, uh, when, when they're uh, with the Lord just before he ascends, Lord, at this time, are you going to? Okay, right? It says it's not for you to know that. Just be faithful. But we get kind of a sense of that. John doesn't tell us that. But we do get a similar sense at the end of John, where Peter's, you know, uh, uh, the Lord says, do you love me, right? And keep my sheep three times. And and then so Peter's following, and then he turns around and sees John. What about him? Right? And the Lord says, Mind your business, effectively, right? You follow, you follow me. You worry about it. your walk with me. I'll take care of the big picture. That's that's good work for us too, right? Because right. we got all wrapped up. We were pulling in this morning. In fact, you know, we're talking about praying. We praise. We come in, just praying for the church around the world, the mess that our country's in, the mess the church is in, just all that. And 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 Dory says, you know, I really feel like the Lord is, is really getting close to His return. I'm like, yep, yep, that's true. And that, that it's true, and we're told to, but we're we're told these things in advance, right? Not so that we can, you know, get obsessed with end times things necessarily, but to know just like they do when Jesus tells them their future in the coming hours and years, um, we know the same thing, so that we know that God is in charge, right? And our focus is not on the things themselves, but on the one who's in charge of those things, right? And at the end of the day, Jesus would say to us the same thing. Mind your business, follow me. It's a good word. All right. So Jesus summarizes time ahead as our title here. Um, we really have in front of us in these this small section an outline of what he's about to tell them in greater detail. He's going to take this little, little outline here, and he's going to expand it over the next uh, four or five chapters. When they they do hear his high priestly prayer. Obviously, John wrote it down, uh, and, and so and so that we can include that chapter. I think in his exposition of what exactly this means in, uh, for them and in the time ahead. Uh, let's let's go through our notes here this morning. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your might. Deuteronomy 6, 
four through five. We recognize that, as Jesus has said, that's the first and greatest commandment, right? The second is like to it, Leviticus 19, 18b, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, I am the one. I put those verses there to become apparent as we get into the text, but I put those verses up there because when he he's going to tell them here in this section, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. But it's not new, right? It's there in Leviticus. So what's new about that? I don't know. Put that out for you to chew on, and we'll we'll get there. Okay. Um, by the way, that first and greatest commandment, R.C. Sproul says, and I really like this. You and I have not obeyed that commandment for five minutes yet from the time we were born. And I think that's really Jesus' point to the rich young ruler. You know, um, all these things I've done for my youth. Okay, well then go sell everything. Give to the poor. You have riches in heaven. Come follow me. Um, as Michael Carr rightly says in his song, there was a man who was owned by his money. Right? Uh, he had another God. He had violated the first commandment, hadn't even realized it. Um, but that, you know, this really puts things in perspective. Even for the even for the moralist, even for somebody like myself for so many years, this is what, what the Lord really brought me to conviction. We gave our testimony, you know, I gave my testimony recently. Uh, but what's one of the things that were really brought to by conviction, conviction with me, is it's not just how good I look on the outside, you know, and I have everybody else fooled and maybe even myself. It's what is really in my heart, right? And if I'm not putting God first, if I'm not loving, look how it says again, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And if I'm totally honest with you, most of the time, I'm not out for God's glory. I'm out for mine. And what pleases me. Okay? If we're, if we're honest. Okay? So that's why we need another righteousness. Jesus did that. He fulfilled not just the outward law, the outward moral law, outward ceremonial law, outward civil law, but he fulfilled it where it really counts inside, right? Perfectly. And he accomplished perfect righteousness. Not only, not only our atonement, but the perfect righteousness of Christ. Both are equally important. Very, very important. All right. Let's move on. The way of the cross... From humiliation to exaltation, another title that I wrestled with, and I just changed that this morning before printing this out because I like that a little bit better. We've talked about the way of the cross, okay? But here, Jesus is going to introduce this, and it, it comes in a kind of a weird form. Because, and Peter, uh, in the verses immediately after this, Peter's going to come back to verse 33 because he, he totally doesn't hear. Apparently, the other disciples didn't really hear it either. Uh, verses 34 and 35, the command to love one another, what they hear is, I'm leaving. And where I'm going, you cannot come. Right? Uh, and so, what Jesus is telling them here in these verses is, or introducing them to, is the way of the cross, which is, as I've said before, is not just for Jesus, but is for everyone who wants to follow him. Right? And we know that from the Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels. Jesus says, anyone wants to come after me, let him what? Take up his couch. <laughs> yeah. 
that's what we want to say, right? Let's be comfortable. I can, you know, it's fine for Jesus to go through suffering and humiliation, but but not me. I'm a child of God. I, I I behave myself, and so I should be I should be rewarded, right? That's what we think. That's not what the Bible says. So the way the cross, when we have we have this cross up here on on the Christian flag, there's a cross outside our building, and uh, anytime you see the cross, I, I try to remind myself of this now. Because for many years, you see the cross, and you, I don't know what you think when you see it. A lot of times, I think of Jesus, right? You know, think of what he did there and accomplished there. And that's good. But that symbol is, is such a powerful symbol for Christianity in general. If you're going to pick an icon for Christianity, uh, the early, by the way, the early symbols, one of the early ones, too, is, a, is an anchor, which I think is good. They had the ichthus, you know, the little fish and all of that. Um, but, but the emblem of the cross is sort of you might say as, a, as an icon has sort of won out. And, and anywhere you go around the world today, uh, we're just watching a video about uh, Chinese house churches. And, you know, at the tail end of the video, the camera, their faces are blotted out. You can see the camera kind of pans up in this little house church. And above the door is a little cross, right? In China, this little secret house church. And I just, I love that because that symbol ties believers together. But when you see that cross, remember that it's not just for Jesus, it's for you too. And that's what he's telling his disciples here. And that's what they're having a hard time getting through their heads. And I would say we do too. We do too. We have a hard time because we like the couch, right? <laughs> take up your couch, you know, take up your cross and follow it. That's what Jesus is telling So I, I, that's why I titled this here. From humiliation to exaltation. In other words, another maybe pithy way of saying it is the way in God's economy, the way up is down. Okay. So let's. I'm sorry, the small type. I, I I wanted to fit it in here. It didn't barely just fit, so I put it in nine point one. You got to get your readers out. That's fine. <laughs> All right, let's go through this together. Judas has been dismissed. The mood in the upper room is now very different from where it was when Jesus and his disciples first entered, entered it that evening. John records the details that Judas, now possessed by Satan personally, departed into the darkness of night to play his evil role as the one who would get things rolling for the arrest, trials, abuse, and ultimately crucifixion of Jesus. This darkness was emblematic of the mood that had begun to settle in their hearts. But they are in the presence of the light of the world, and he will disclose the difficult road ahead and the triumph of following. Okay. After the humbling of the foot washing and Jesus' admonishment for the disciples to love one another like he had demonstrated to them, Jesus' emotions visibly change as he resumes the announcement that one of them will betray him. This shocking news is only the beginning for them, however, as they were soon to find out that this one in whom they had fixed their hope as Messiah, King, and Savior of the nation would soon be leaving them, and they would not be able to follow him. To make matters worse, he compares them to his enemies by saying that just as he had told them that he was leaving soon and 
they could not follow. So now he is saying the same to his disciples. I think that's, you know, it, it's almost like Jesus poor saw. It's, it's hard enough for them to hear that, but then he's going he's gonna to say it in such a way as says, just as I told the Jews, I say to you, where I'm going, you cannot, I'm, I'm leaving, where I'm going, you cannot come. And we'll go back, we'll look at that. I know it's have that, he says in chapter 7 and 8, he said he told the Jews several times that that's the case, and they're his enemies. So the disciples hear that, they think they're going to be an exception. No, no. Just like my enemies, I'm telling you. You see? It's hard enough to hear that news, and, and, and we're almost like he pours some salt into that. Third paragraph there. This bombshell from Jesus, however, is surrounded by truth that, if they truly understood and believed it, should have tempered their sorrow with joy and with firm determination to walk in his footsteps and taking up the love for one another that he has, uh, he was commanding them. For about three years, he had poured himself out as the model of how God loves to the extent that it could be said Jesus died many times before his actual death. He set aside his own needs, words, and desires to obey the Father in perfect love and to serve sinful people of all sorts as a demonstration of that love. I don't know if you thought about that, how many times Jesus had to die to himself, right, before he went to the cross. Is that the same kind of demonstration he tells us to deny ourselves? Uh, I don't know. What do you think? Is the servant greater than the master? They did this to me. They'll do this to you. This is the way of the cross. Expect it, Christian. You want to follow Jesus? Count the cost, right? This is the cost. Say that more and more later. The latter days of this church is to be been joining her. They don't hurt the people that have been for the I think we'll, we'll see that more visibly in our culture. We are seeing it, and we will see it. It's the Lord's way of cleansing his church out, by the way. That in his word. So for about three years, he poured himself out as that model. Now let's continue here. He set aside his own needs, words, and desires to obey the Father in perfect love and to serve sinful people of all sorts as a demonstration of this love. This mantle is now being handed to his disciples, and in taking it up, they were stepping into his place as the means of love and protection from God for each other during the time ahead. They're going, they're going to. Jesus prays for them to the Father, asks the Father to, to, to watch over them because he's not going to be around to do that, right? Over the next, especially the next few days after he's crucified and buried. But when you read that in, in high priesthood prayer, the means of doing that is that they may be one. In other words, that they're bounded together in love and unity, and they will lean on each other in place of Jesus. You see that? That's still true today. That's how Jesus is still building his church today. Because the world will chew you up and spit you out, believe it or not, right? Um, but but add to that the difficulty of living for Christ and in this world, you what will have trouble, tribulation. He says at the end of chapter 15, but do not fear for I overcome the world. So even though, believer, it seems like the world is overcoming you, you're called to overcome it. John loves that word, overcoming. He uses a lot, in, particularly in Revelation, uh, in his epistle as well, first, first John. But um, what a description for believers who don't look like overcomers. 
Sometimes it feels like you're being overcome. Yeah, you don't even feel like it. But that's the way of the cross. Yeah. Because in that darkness, God can receive glory when his light of truth breaks through. When it's shown in the end that he is right all along and those who trusted in him will be vindicated. He will be glorified and you will be exonerated. So just remember that. And, and see, we are to remind ourselves of that because when you're the one going through the pain, that's all you feel, right, in the moment, and it's discouraging. And so we need other believers to come alongside and love and recognize that and say, look, uh, I've been through something similar, and this is what the Lord did for me, right? Comfort each other with the comfort wherewith you have been comforted. This is love. This is God's kind of love, not a mushy-gushy, oh, well, come on in and let's play enough music till you feel better. No, I mean, it's great to have music. I love music, right? But but the, these words of comfort and encouragement, when you're at somebody's hospital bed and they're dying, right, you can speak words of comfort if they're conscious to them, if they're a believer, or to the family. You can give assurance, right? And all, all of the great music at that, at that point in time won't help you, but the promises of God from his word will. You know the uh, phrase that the text that when Jesus said forsake not the assembly of well, the scripture says forsake not the assembly. Uh the use of the word forsake there seems to mean more than just don't stop it. I mean don't just don't uh, just not do it, but neglect seems to to point that this is a long term thing that uh, you get depressed, it doesn't seem to do any good. And so you forsake that to do other things that the Bible says not to do that, not to forsake. You know, that's a lot of times the time when we want to abandon the fellowship, yeah, right? I think that, and also when you've been in sin, you know, and you know it, it's kind of embarrassing. Yeah. Maybe coming to church, even though maybe nobody in church may know, still there's a there's a measure of accountability there when you walk in, right? And, and collective <coughs> work the Holy Spirit in the collective body. We're going to see this, by the way. This pattern is very interesting. Uh, uh, after chapter 18 and 19, where he's, he's arrested, crucified, all his trials and all that. The other side of that, in chapter 20, when he's the resurrected Christ, is appearing to his disciples. What's interesting is there's a number of appearances, even especially on the day itself, when he's resurrected. There's a number of sort of solo or, or small group appearances, right? He appears to a small number of people individually. But it's not really until he meets with the whole body on Sunday. The day of his resurrection, eight days later, and then again, uh, that, that the scripture really puts that emphasis. It's very interesting to see the development of the church even before Pentecost. All right, so the Lord does meet with us, and he said he would build his church, and he's doing that through love. Through love. This kind of love. The way of the cross, self-sacrificing love, die to yourself, and live for God and for others. Or, um, let's see. Next uh, paragraph four, I guess that is right. In this section, that is the text we're looking at here, uh, Jesus gives them an overview of all that he is eager to tell them in the coming chapters. His, the purpose of this discourse is to disclose what is about to happen, along with the assurance that it is all part of God's plan which he instituted from the beginning. Uh, to hold your place there, let's look up these, these verses real quick, um, just to show you that I'm not making this up. <laughs> Chapter 15, verses 15 through 16. 
just after he's talked about the vine and the branches. He says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know his, what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Okay? So again, this is God's plan. He chose them. He instituted the, these circumstances. And notice that, that he's saying, okay, you're, you guys, I've called you slaves, and you are. You were slaves of Christ. That is that is an appropriate translation of that word doulos. It's used a lot in the New Testament. But it doesn't stop there, right? Jesus elevates them, but he explains what that means, okay? So a master doesn't just tell the slave all his plans. He doesn't consult with him, right, and explain. He just says, go do this, go do that. But what Jesus does here is he says, I'm telling you what I'm doing, right? This, this plan has been laid out long before the world was even started. And not just at the grand scale, but specifically in your life. That's pretty amazing, right? So that the, the trials that you walk through are foreordained by a loving father long before the world even was created. That's pretty cool. Your way of the cross was planned by, and that's what the writer of Hebrews means when he says, let us run the race yeah. that is marked before us. That's the way of the cross. We're looking unto our captain who was also uh, perfected, right? He was. He also suffered as well. And we have a high priest who's able to sympathize with us, right? He goes through every, listen, every drop of suffering that every believer goes through <clears throat> is also tasted by Jesus. He didn't escape to heaven to get out of, you know, boy, I can't wait to get out of this world. What we're going to see here is he, sent, he sends the Holy Spirit here to be with us. And through that, he walks with us through these things. Our shepherd, right? Picture of our shepherd, Psalm 23. Yes, I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, but I will fear no evil. Nothing permanently bad is happening to me. Why? You are with me. When, when when Jesus appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus, he didn't say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my people? He didn't say, why are you persecuting my church? He said, why are you persecuting who? Me! I feel the pain they're going through. Jesus is not in heaven to escape your suffering. You're not going through it alone. He is right there with you. And we, and, and we as believers all walk that together. Okay? It's the way of the cross. So in this section, he's given an overview. Uh, oh, let's look at um, chapter 16, verses, verse 4, a few, few verses later. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, comes, you may remember that I told them to you, right? He's telling them these things in advance so that they may remember God is in charge. And it, listen, this is so important because... One of the many things he's going, one of the many positives, you might say, that he's, just, there's a mix of pluses and minuses in these chapters, okay, for his people. One of the positives is joy and peace. Peace I give to you, not as the world gives, give I to you, right? Well, it's not just isolated peace. Oh, this mystical peace. No, it's a peace that is rooted in the soil of knowing God is in charge. And whatever is happening is in his plan. 
and nothing ever happens that's outside of that. And he's never scrambling to try to say, oh, oh I didn't see that coming. Ooh, we need to figure. No, we do that, but God doesn't. Right? Yeah. And our joy is rooted in the same thing. So that I'm looking forward to our study when we get to joy. What is joy? Why is that different? How is it different from happiness or happiness? And it's simply this. I love this definition of joy. Okay. Happiness is taking pleasure in circumstances or happenstance. Joy is taking pleasure in the Lord of happenstance. He's the Lord of circumstances. And I take joy in him. He never changes. These circumstances come and go and up and down, right? And if, you, if your trust is in that, you know, what I see coming, what I think is coming, and suddenly, you know, next thing you know, your life is in the ditch. <laughs> You're, what's going to happen to your emotions, your happiness? Up and down, up and down, right? The stability that we have as believers, the joy that we have as believers, the peace that we have, the hope that we have is all rooted in God's sovereignty. And, and his love. God's not just in charge, but he loves you. Isn't that good? Okay. All right, so uh, let's look at verses 12 and same chapter, chapter 16, verses 12 and 13. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Now that is that is uh, Jesus telling his disciples basically, look, the Holy Spirit is going to 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 two things. He's going to remind you of what I've said, right? And and we see that right here in this gospel, right? John, uh, the apostles, and and their their um, associates gave us the New Testament. But not only that, the Spirit is going to also tell you some things that I didn't tell you. Right? Jesus didn't, he, he talks in, in uh, uh, Matthew 24 and 25 a little bit about end times things, but there's a lot more we learn in Revelation that Jesus didn't say, right? He didn't talk about the mark of the beast and all that kind of stuff. Um, so the Holy Spirit is going to give them more revelation about what is to come so that not just them, but all believers will have comfort in this truth, knowing that we serve the God of history, Right? who's not just Lord of the past, thank God he's Lord of the future too. Okay? All right. So there, there's a there's a couple of foretastes of what's coming. Okay. So let's continue in our paragraph there, the fourth paragraph. He first starts with the glory of the cross in which the Son of Man and God the Father are both lifted up for the world to see. Okay, there's all those verses there. You're familiar with uh, chapter 3, right? It's, uh, it's the picture of that Moses lifted up in the wilderness. So the Son of Man will be lifted up. And then in, in verse in chapter 8 there, he says, uh, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, you will know that I am He will lift me up. You will know that I am He, that I am the Messiah. Uh, 1232, you can look these up. Uh, Romans 5.8, we know that one, right? <clears throat> How is God glorified in the cross? It looks like God is defeated in the cross, right? Satan thought that, okay? And so did the world system. They were they rejoiced that he's finally out of their hair. Right? Um, what they didn't understand was that their own system was being judged in that one thing. And what they also didn't understand is what Paul summarizes Romans 5, 8, in, you know, that, that 
God demonstrates his own unique kind of love in that while we were yet sinners, what? Christ died for us. So they didn't realize that was God's plan. But That's right. You know what I'm saying? Just, they thought they wanted victory, but really Christ wanted victory through the Father's will. God is putting on display for the whole world, not just human world, but angelic world as well, his kind of love on the cross. That he would do that for sinners, for unworthy, hell-deserving sinners it is beyond shocking. The angels have nothing to say because they know God and his holiness. They know one infraction and you're cast out of heaven, right? Satan. All right. Um, and anyways. But here's the holy God on the cross bearing our sin and our shame. Taking our place. No one loves like that. Only God. All right. So let's move on here. He moves next in his. So that's point number one, right? He starts with the glory of the cross. Number two, he moves next to his ascension that will follow his crucifixion and resurrection. That's verse 33. It's here that they fall apart emotionally, and he has to comfort them with assurances. To not let their hearts be troubled. You guys are familiar with those two verses, right? They're twice in chapter 14 at the very beginning. He says, let not your hearts be troubled, right? You've heard that very, very famous sort of hallmark verse, right? You say that at funerals and whatever. But he's, and then he says it again in verse 27. Uh, twice in that chapter, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Stop. In other words, really stop letting your hearts be troubled. Because Why? Because they were very troubled. Why were they troubled? Well, because Judas had already been dismissed. That that mood, they'd been rebuked for their pride. But verse 33 is coming, and Jesus, you might say, he's hit them with one, two, and now he hits them with their, their emotions and their pride with a third knockout punch in verse 33. As I told my enemies, I'm telling you, where I'm going, I'm leaving them where I'm going, you can't come. And they're devastated. To the point where he has to say twice, stop, stop letting your hearts be troubled. And he gives them all these wonderful words of comfort and encouragement mixed with some warnings about the world's going to hate you, it's going to persecute you. Again, he's preparing them for the way of the cross. All right, so that's, um, finally, this is our, our last sentence in that paragraph. So point number one, the Father and the Son will be glorified in the cross. Number two, he is leaving. He's ascending to the Father. He's going to tell them, actually, it's better than this, this way. It's better for you that I go. <laughs> they didn't want to hear that, and maybe we still don't. You know, I don't know if you thought, when we get there, we'll talk about it, but why didn't you just stick around physically and grow his church first? He says it's actually better. We'll talk about that. He'll tell us why. Right? Third point here is in this section that we're looking at. Finally, he comes back to the command to love each other in the power of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say that in these verses, but he will expound on it later and say that. Which would be the mortar that holds the church together as it is built in the time ahead. So many verses that deal with this, disclose this. Uh, but he's going to say to them, 
the world is going to know you're my disciples, not that you heal, right? Not that you speak in tongues. There's some today, I just listened to a little video about that, I'm critical of other, other churches, and our church is special because we, we take that seriously. Right now, you, you've missed, and these other churches don't, don't want Holy Spirit. No, no. We understand the Holy Spirit is working through this, right? He's working through the truth of God and transforming the people. This is the living water. Uh, this is the Spirit-inspired Word of God. And in that, part of the fruit of that, then, is what's the first fruit? Love, right? The fruit of the Spirit is not speaking in tongues or, or, or barking like a dog or rolling around or crazy stuff, right? You know, uh, or, or even just, you know, intellectual intellectual or financial prosperity or any of these kinds of things that people want to put there. Let's let the Word of God say what it says, right? The first fruit is love. This, this kind of love, the Holy Spirit brings this kind of God's kind of love into the heart of the believer, and that is manifested in his church as we love one another. By this, all men will know you are my disciples. What? Love one another. Love one another. Unity among people who shouldn't get along otherwise. Um, last paragraph there. Perhaps the best way to summarize all that Jesus will unfold in these chapters is to understand it as the way of the cross, that the way up is down. Just as Jesus was still on his way down to the low point of humiliation on the cross, followed by the exaltation to the right hand of the Father, so also are all who follow him. Let's go back to chapter 13, verse 36. Jesus thankfully doesn't just leave Peter there and the other disciples devastated with where I'm going, you cannot come. Peter comes back to question that and, and the Lord tells him in verse 36 there, he says, he, Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me, what? Now. But you and, I'm, and then he goes on in chapter 14 to say, I'm going to prepare a place for you. What sense would it make if I go prepare a place for you, but you're not now I'm going to come and get you, right? Mm -hmm. And bring you to where I am. Okay. 16, 16 says the same thing. Same thing. It's all over. It's all over. It's, there's so many verses I could just like jam. So many references here, but these are examples, right? Mm -hmm. The cross is emblematic of the ability of God to make a way where there seems to be no way. To turn darkness into light to turn mourning into joy, to transform confusion into peace, to turn humiliation into exaltation. All true believers, listen to this, all true believers should expect to walk this road as the loving Father disciplines them that they may share in his holiness. Let's finish this morning by, by reading that text from Hebrews to remind ourselves. We've just been in that in our Bible study. Uh, at the um, ramble. at the ramble, um, God's providence is just amazing. Um, just been reminded of this myself. First Hebrews chapter two verses ten and eleven. Near the beginning of Hebrews, as as the writer, as the pastor here is setting up uh, what he's saying, he's framing this and he's telling us that you know in the last days the sun has come. He's 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 brought a, a, a new and living way established in his, his 
priestly work on behalf of his people to offer his blood, which actually takes away sin, right? But there's these weird little verses in chapter 2, verses 10 and 11 that we learn about Jesus. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, so that's the exalted God, creator God, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through what? Suffering. Yeah. You won't find that in many church growth books. Tell people, oh, come follow Jesus so you can suffer too. Yeah. For he who sanctifies and those who are who are sanctified all have one source. You hear that? You hear that unity with Christ? You can't be in Christ and expect not to suffer. Right? That, that, that's a total contradiction. If he suffered, you can expect the same. But he suffered for the glory of God, and you can expect the same if you're in him and if you're trained by him. So, so it, with that being set up, let's go over to chapter 12, look over to chapter 12, where the writer of Hebrews applies this way of the cross to us, okay? Beginning with verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all those other saints who have walked in faith before us, in the Old Testament, too. Okay, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the way of the race that is set before us. That's the way of the cross. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, how did he perfect it? Through suffering. Okay, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is the ultimate example of taking joy in the Father, even as he's facing the worst circumstances that anyone in the human history has ever faced. When he went to the cross, not just the humiliation of Satan and his system, okay, but really those three hours of darkness from noon to three in the afternoon when he bore our sin. Right? That's what he was really anxious about. And even in those awful, awful circumstances, he has joy. Not in the circumstances, right? He's not taking joy in the cross, but in what's on the other side. And the one who's in charge of all of that. He's our, he's our example. So consider him then, verse 3, who endured from sinful from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted the point of shedding your blood. And have and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not lightly, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens, chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons and daughters. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? You are left without discipline in which all have participated, and you are illegitimate children, not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us. We understand this in a human level, right? We respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? 
for they disciplined us for a short time to seem best to them, but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. For the, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been by it. Do you hear the peace? Do you hear the joy? Do you hear the strength? Character that comes from that? Your Heavenly Father knows how to bring the right amount of pain into your life at just the right time. I've said before, and I'll say again several times, I think it's a good thing to remember. Whenever a person is squeezed, whatever they're full of comes out. Like it or not. And the Father does that. He squeezes us so we can see what's in our hearts. We can see our weaknesses, our shortcomings. And realize then, they, you know, the, the wrong response is, because he's going to go on to say, for those who have been trained by it, right? The wrong response is to fight it. What kind of God is this? Why would God allow this to happen? Right? That's fighting. Instead, Lord, I don't know why. This I have no idea. Help me. You're trying to teach me something. I don't even know what that is. I claim James, right? Yeah. To ask for wisdom and it's difficult. I don't know what it is, but I know you're in charge of it. I know that you're squeezing me for a purpose. And not, you know, elementary school Christianity teaches you, okay, I'm going to endure this and I'm going to go through it. And, and you know, graduate level Christianity is not only am I going to endure it, I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to consider it joy. I'm going to take joy in not circumstances, but in God, who is in charge of circumstances, because he's treating me like that side. Right? The way of the cross. Let's close with that. Morning, let's Morning. Father, it's easy to stand up here or maybe to sit out here in Sunday school uh, where we're kind of comfortable. It's a different thing when we're going through the circumstances of pain and being misunderstood and even at times disappointment with you when you don't come through in, in ways that we thought that you would, that we prayed earnestly and it didn't happen that way. Help us to learn the same lesson that all these saints of old have had to, had to learn and that we have to learn as well. And that is they are in charge. And in the, in the end, as long if you are glorified in our pain, so be it. Let us not whine and complain, <laughs> but rather to, to take joy in you in those difficult times. Father, I know all of us have had difficult times and will. Maybe we're going through something now that's difficult. Whatever your spirit wants to take and apply this, Father, do so for your glory. Pray for uh, the service coming up as well that you will. Bless that and our Bible study this afternoon, um, that you will take your word, work it into us, like the shepherd who, who pours oil on and rubs the soothing oil into the wounds of his, of his sheep that he loves and cares for. You love us so much. You spared no expense to reconcile us to yourself, and you taste every drop of pain we go through. We have a high priest who's able to sympathize with us. He's run the same course, he's walked away at the cross, and the strength you provide, we can do that too, for your glory, for our good. We thank you for this truth. Drive it to our hearts this morning, Jesus' name.
Bueno.